And I think, as we'll talk about it, that sometimes you come to those moments in your life where um, you realize you're mortal. You realize that you can't fix it yourself. You're in trouble. And you've got to have an answer. Maybe the answer isn't that you're going to be healed, but the answer is, what if I'm not healed? And what, what do I do then? And so that's really many times what brings us to our knees. It brings us... it. it it hits us to our very core, and we have to ask the question, so now what? <laughs> so now what do we do, right? And so this has been a challenging year for a lot of families at Hope Church. A lot of you folks have gone through some difficult times, and you've been challenged. Your faith has been challenged. Uh, it may be that you've, you've, you've gone through and you've had something happen to a loved one, and you realize there's nothing you can do to help them, and they're in the middle of this storm and you can't do anything to help them uh, other than to be there. You can't fix it. It's, there's no fix for it. Um, and some of you are in the middle of a, a time where you have gone to the doctor and the doctor has basically said, you're starting to break down. You're mortal. You're not going to last. It, and you knew that, but you didn't want to think about it and you didn't want to talk about it. And so you come to the place where you start asking questions like, what am I doing? Why am I here? What, what, what makes my life significant and important? And is there life beyond death? And we, we ask those questions. And so a lot of this that's been going on within the church family had kind of brought me to a place where I started asking questions. And I said, what are, what are some of the most important questions that if I could say, there, there are some certain principles from the Scripture that if we get these, these four or five or whatever principles right, we'll be on the right path. We'll have answers when life doesn't go well, when the circumstances kind of rise up to kind of pounce on us, and we have an answer for that. And essentially, it came down to, um, I really asked the question in this light. I said, what are some things that I would want my boys, and I have five boys, what would the, the five, what are the things that I would want them to know that if they followed these principles, if they, if they kind of had these in the back of their mind and it was, the, it was the, uh, the, the grid that they ran their lives through, that it wouldn't mean that their lives would be great or they wouldn't have problems or the circumstances wouldn't rise up, but they would... They would have joy. They would have peace. They would, they would thrive. They would live the good life. And so I went to the Scriptures because I don't really have a lot of wisdom in and of myself. And I said, there's a, there's a number of these questions that I think the Scriptures answer. And, the first, and, and, and interestingly enough, what I found was many of them, they, they revolve around the state of our heart. And, and when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about our inward being, who we are as a person. It's our personality. It's our, it's our morality. It's, it's, it's all those different things. It's, it's our, our soul, our spirit. It's, it's, it's that essence of who we are. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. So the first question I wanted to address is this one. What is our reason for life? For many people... They, they never really ask that question. And, and it's un- understandable because we live in a culture that you're going, you're going, you're going, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're running. And then all of a sudden, you, you never stop, right? You're, you're in this kind of this, this life 
frenzy where you're just going faster and faster and faster and you're planning next week and next week and then here's you know Halloween and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then a new year and it's just like and then Easter is just like school year and it's you know you're just going 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 and the really the only thing that'll stop that is when somebody that's close to you dies and you go wait Everything stops because you go, okay, I'm not going into work today. I'm not going to go in this week. Or somebody close to you, maybe you, the doctor says, you're going to need surgery. In fact, you're in trouble. You know, And all of a sudden you go, you know, all this other stuff is not going anymore. It, it stopped really quick. And now I'm starting to ask questions that I never asked before. And so the question is, what am I doing? What, what, what's the purpose? Who am I living for? What's the point? And some of you um, ask these questions because life hit you hard this year. And you go, I don't really have an answer for that. Or I've had it, thought I had an answer, and I'm not sure about it. And these are the questions we ask when we're vulnerable, when we're at risk, when we're threatened. Uh, we can have a couple of reactions to this. One is we can put our hand in, head in the sand or throw our hands up in disgust and, and just say, I don't know, despair. Or we can search for a reasonable explanation for life. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I said, you know, sometimes the best place to find an answer is at the end. And really... I think when I was thinking about it, I think if you want to decide where your life, what your life's all about, maybe you ought to look where it ends. And so my thought was, our life end, our life, how our life ends, ought to determine how I live. And I think that's what the scripture is saying. It's saying you need to know where you're going if you want to know how to live, <laughs> because the Bible says how you live affects where you're going. And what, what, and, and so it's kind of all tied together. But So I was thinking about the different common ways that people in our world live. Some people live, and they have this view, and, and it's called philosophically naturalism. And it's just this view that says, you live, you die, and you rot. All there is is the physical world. And you really don't worry about what life is all about. In fact, you may determine... That life has no reason. And because life has no reason, I give it reason. So I decide um, my life is all about being a good human being. I've decided I'm just going to be a good human being. I have no rationale and no reason why I should be. I just determine that's what I'm going to be. Because essentially you get along better in society if you're a good human being. Or you say, no, I'm going to enjoy life. My goal is I'm going to enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And there's nothing after death. And here's what I found out, that when we believe that there is no purpose to our lives, we'll make up a purpose. And, and, and when we make up a purpose for our lives, and, and we don't take in that there may be a Creator there, there may be a God in Heaven there that has a purpose for our lives, He has a, a point to our lives, He has a design for our lives, we are part of His workmanship. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But if we don't take that into account, all that into account, we say, but I just have to make it up. What I found is when I talk with people, they're, they're saying things like, my life's a mess. I'm in this jam. I don't feel like I'm, I'm not happy. I don't have joy. I'm struggling. I don't, 
I don't, and if you could boil it down, they would say, I'm not who I think I should be. And I'm not being used in the way that I want to be. I'm not being fulfilled. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, I've seen that on the internet. <laughs> so here's a couple of pictures of things that are used. No, you say, what does this have to do with this? Number one, it's a baby seat and a teething ring at the same time. Uh, get, get, do the next one. Right? All right, how about the next one? I don't know what that, that's just funny to me. That's just nonsense. All right, give me another one. I just think that's, that's very clever and looks very dangerous. Is that the last one? I think it is. Oh, no, that's the last one. Um, now, the reason I put those up there is this. People come in and they say, I'm a pair of scissors, but I don't think I'm being used the way a pair of scissors ought to be used. Or they're saying, I'm a watermelon, and I've got somebody sitting in me, and I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be. And, and we, we end up not being what God wants us to be. We're not being used in the design that He interpreted. What I'm saying is that when you understand who you are and why you were made, you begin to live the way that God purposed you. But when you don't, you make it up and you start doing goofy things like this. The second reason that people look at life as freedom, they basically say life's all about me having freedom. Uh, this, this whole idea of it's my life. I get to choose. I want to do what I want to do. And, or, or they'll say, um, I just have to follow my heart. I mean, I get so tired, and I've had a number of people come into my office over the years, and they say, Pastor, I know that what I'm going to do isn't, God doesn't want me to do that. But I know that He put it in my heart to do it. And I kind of want to just say, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Are you listening to your words? But I can't. And <laughs> I have to be nicer about it. Uh, but... The point is that just fought, that this is with our pop culture because our pop culture says if you want to be free, freedom comes from and it is about doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do. You know what I found? I found the people that follow their hearts and want ultimate freedom hurt a lot of people around them. Parents that say I want to be free, their kids will sit there and go, "I wish you weren't," because it's not working out well for me. Um, freedom, freedom cuts two ways. We've got to be really careful about that. Or, you know, the other pursuit that many people go on, and philosophers have been on this quest for truth, and it's this idea of finding the ultimate truth. What is the ultimate truth? And the ancient Greek philosophers, they were, they were concerned with answering that ultimate question of truth and reality. And they were seeking, what is the ultimate truth? What is, what is it that makes life makes sense of life and, 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 and kind of explains things? What's the ultimate re- reality that, rely, that, that, that is behind all things? If we can figure that out, then we're going to be able to understand what our purpose is because we have to ask that question. And over time, the ancient philosophers, they, they pondered these questions 
And they came up with a term to describe this ultimate reality. He said, if we could find this ultimate reality, if we could find what's behind everything, then we'll get a handle on what life is all about, and we'll figure out how we fit into that, and, 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 and it'll all come together. And they came up with a word, and they called it the Logos. And the Logos came to be understood by the Greeks it is something, a concept, a philosophy that gave meaning and purpose to, to the universe and ultimately to our lives. So they were on this pursuit of truth. So into this cultural philosophy, the Apostle John writes the following. Here's what he writes. This is John 1.1. 1, 1. If you want to turn to the Gospel of John 1.1, 1, 1. some of you have this verse memorized. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word there, Word, the literal word, W-O-R-D is Word, Logos. And he says this, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And John was saying something very important and very different and very spectacular to the philosophers of his day. He was saying, this concept of the ultimate purpose and meaning behind life, this whole Logos thing, it's not a concept. It's not an idea. It is a person. The Logos isn't an idea. It's not a concept. There's not a philosophical idea behind the universe. There's a person behind the universe. And his name is Jesus. And so John breaks this new idea out. And he basically says, there's a divine designer behind this world. And he's the only one that can bring that purpose to the universe and to our lives. He's the Logos. He's the reason for life. And John says in verse 14, the Word, Jesus, became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what John is saying is so staggeringly amazing. He's saying you're looking for the ultimate truth and you're looking for that ultimate philosophy. The ultimate philosophy, the ultimate truth is a person and his name is Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. (laughs) And so he comes into this world and he says, I am the one who brings meaning and purpose to the universe. I'm the one that created it. I'm the one that brings meaning and purpose to your life. I created you. And not only that, I am going to come to earth. I am going to redeem you. I am going to save you. And so uh, the, the point that, that John is making is, He's saying that if you want to find purpose and meaning to the universe, if you want to find the ultimate truth, it's not a philosophy, it's a person. And if you find Jesus, you'll find everything. You'll find the ultimate purpose behind the universe, and you'll find your purpose in life. And when you find your purpose in life, then you'll have all the things that you need, and, and, and it will, your life will change radically. So what would I tell my boys? I would tell my boys, and I have, Give your heart to Jesus and you will find your reason for living. Give your heart to Jesus and you will find your life, your reason for living. And, and frankly, that's what the Westmin- Westminster uh, Shorter Confession says, or Catechism says. It says, what, and, and it's question and answer format, and that's how they would do it. And, and it says this, what is man's main purpose? Man's chief purpose or chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Baltimore Catechism says, why did God make you? God made you to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him in this world. 
and to be happy with Him forever in heaven. And so it's very easy to say that. And so the question I want to just spend a little bit of time in is this. So what I'm saying is that you're made to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. And when you do this, you begin to really live. You find out who you really are and you see why you exist. And I would say to my boys, give your hearts to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. And I want to just close by just giving three reasons why you should give your heart to Jesus. Three reasons. Number one, you should give your heart to Jesus because He will give your life purpose and meaning. And notice, He's the only one who can because He's the one that put it all together in the first place. In John chapter 1, verse 3, He says, God created everything through Him, through Jesus, through the Logos, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And so we find our roots back to Him. <laughs> we, we, ultimately, we find life in Him. We find our design in Him because He's the one that designed the universe. He's the one that designed the earth, the stars and the moon, the sun, everything. He, he designed the universe. He designed the earth. He designed us. And when we look to Him, our Creator, we find our North Star. We find our purpose. We find our meaning. And here's the problem. The problem is that oftentimes we hear that and we say, that's right. I know that's right. But here's what I found in my life. I know that in my, in my head and I know that, that that's true, but oftentimes I'm trying to figure out my life on my own without Him. And that's when I get into trouble. And that's when I start sitting under a car that's posted up with a couple of boards. And that's when my life turns into a blender. And that's when my life turns into a watermelon rind. And some little kid is sitting in me. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's where my, the wheels come off in my life is when I start to design who I am. And, I, and, and, and we have to get to a point where we say, He has a purpose for our lives. And when He directs it and He fixes it and He manages it, it goes well. When I try to do that, it doesn't go so well. And what I'm saying to you is this. Until you know Him and allow Him to direct your path, you will struggle to find purpose and meaning in your life. Until you give your heart to Him, you will not be able to find your purpose and meaning in life. You won't find it. You may find a purpose. You may find some meaning. But you'll not find the, the purpose and meaning. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And I don't believe that means that when you give your heart to Him that everything will go well. That's not what I think the writer is saying. What I think the writer is saying is when you give your life to Him, when you give your heart to Him, He'll direct you. Here's the second benefit from giving your heart to Jesus. He will give your life joy and hope. When life hits us hard, what are we to do? Where do you go to find help? Where do you go to find hope and joy and peace? And some of you have been hit this year, some of you recently, and you've suffered loss of, of, of family members, you've, you've, you've lost of health, you've, you've gone through some difficult times, and maybe you're right in the middle of it. Maybe you're going to be walking into those times shortly. I don't know. But oftentimes we have an incorrect idea of what joy really is. 
Many people think joy is this idea of feeling giddy all the time, no matter what. And I have met Christians who have had serious sicknesses, some with cancer, some with difficult situations. And they have said things like, I say, well, how are you doing? And they they go, I'm doing great. And they're like, I'm going to wait a minute. Do you understand the seriousness of this situation? Oh, well, you know. And it's like, no, they, they don't. You, you realize that they don't. And they almost, it almost is like they feel like I can't really acknowledge the gravity of the situation because that will show my lack of faith. So now I've got to put on this, this crazy-looking smile and you feel like going, can I slap you and just knock some sense into you? And I mean that in the most loving possible way that I could say it. But... But you get my point. That's denial and that's not joy and that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about joy. Joy is an assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. That doesn't mean that life is going to go well, that circumstances are going to go well in your life, that you're not going to have challenges. That's not what it means. It didn't mean that for Jesus when He was on the earth that He's God. Right? He was rejected. He was misunderstood. He was slandered. He was ultimately executed. I mean, come on. Do, you, do we expect that just because we give our heart to Jesus, our life is going to go well? That's not what joy is. Joy is trusting God no matter what the circumstances bring because we know that in the end, God has our highest good. And you go to the book of, of, of Job, it's very clear that, that Job is sitting there wondering, why me? What have I done? And the answer is you didn't do anything. It wasn't because you did anything wrong. That's what his friends kept saying. You must have done something. Just keep looking. There's something there. You're, you're, you're hiding something. And I don't know. I just want to talk with God. And what does God do? He doesn't come and say, Job, you know, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I got, he waylaid me. I didn't know he was going to do that. I mean, I got caught. I, 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 I stuttered. I didn't know what to do. No, God comes to Job and He says, I laid the foundations of the universe. I told the the oceans to go this far and to stop. And He goes on and on and on. He says, oh, by the way, time out. Were you there when I did all that? Because I don't remember seeing you there. And what is God saying to Job? Job, I'm God. I don't have to explain myself to you. But because I'm God, that means you need to trust Now, we even have more light than that because we know that Jesus came and He gave His life for us. So if we're not sure whether we're loved or whether He's willing to sacrifice for us, He gave His Son, right? And so ultimately, joy means that we have confidence that no matter what our circumstances might be, that we choose to praise God in every situation because we know in the end, God is going to figure it all out and we don't have to know all the answers, by the way. Do you really want to know? Right? Really, do you really want to know what is going to happen in your life in the next month? Or the explanation? I mean, do you think if, if God explained to Job what was happening behind the scenes, Job would have said, oh, well, no problem. I think he would have said, hey, wasn't there somebody else on the earth? I mean, come on. <laughs> 
What I'm saying is this. Jesus is the only one who can lift us above our circumstances. When you get that, that news from the doctor or something happens in your life, the only way you can have hope is that you know that Jesus has a plan and a purpose that goes beyond the grave, that nothing can happen in this life that will take away the joy that God is going to give you one day. Here's the last reason why you need to give your heart to Jesus. He will give your life grace and freedom. True freedom can only come when we give our lives completely to Jesus. Do you realize this, that Jesus knows every, everything that you've ever done, good or bad, every thought that you've ever had, good or bad. He knows it. He knows what you're thinking right now. It's not one of Matt's best sermons. Is he just about done or is he just leading me on? How much? He knows, he knows what you're thinking. You know, you're thinking about, you know, like the, I like the looks of that, uh, that Patriots game today. That looks good, right? He knows, here's the thing, he knows the, he knows the darkest secrets that you have concealed in your heart. He knows them completely. And He still loves you. And He still accepts you. And He's never going to reject you. Because when you call upon Jesus and you ask Jesus to come into your life as a Savior, Jesus paid the price for your sins. He knows this. Do you know how much freedom that gives you? I love the story... The enemy, what the enemy wants you to do, he wants you to be hidden. He wants you to hide your sin. He wants you to, to cower in fear. He wants you to be afraid that somebody might find out. And if they ever found out, you, you, frankly, you're living with people right now. Maybe your husband, maybe your wife. It may be your parents, maybe your kids, maybe your friends. That there's things in your life you would never tell them because if they, if you, if they ever found out, they would reject you. Or at least that's your fear, that they would reject you. They would, they would turn their back in disgust. And the enemy, the enemy it knows this and he plays this. And, and I, I heard this story and I thought it was such a great story. It's a, it's a story about a little boy and he and his, his sister were visiting their grandmother. And the little boy had a, a slingshot and he was out in the backyard. And he accidentally, he accidentally shot the slingshot and killed the, one of the, the ducks of the grandmother. And the grandmother had a pond and had ducks. And he killed the duck. And it was an accident. He wasn't meaning to do it, but he, he did it. He felt terrible about it. He felt absolutely horrible about it, but he didn't want anybody to know. So he grabbed the dead duck. He dug a hole and he buried the, the duck. And he looked around and he thought he had gotten away with it. So um, they were back home and uh, they had chores, you know, for good families to give their kids chores. And uh, he was doing his chores, and the sister came up to him and said, why don't you do the dishes? And he said, well, that's your chore. And she goes, I saw what you did at Grandma's with a duck. Do the dishes, or I'm going to tell. And so the boy was, ter- number one, terrified. So he went and he did the dishes. The sister kind of liked that, so she... She says, you know what, I'm supposed to sweep the floors. Why don't you sweep the floors? And he says, well, I don't want to sweep the floors. She says, remember the duck. Well, this went on. It just went on and on. Remember the duck. Remember the duck. Remember the duck. Finally, the little boy had had his fill, and he said, that's it. I'm done. So he went to his grandmother, and he said to his grandmother, I killed the duck. I'm so sorry. 
And she took him into his arms. And she said, I know. I was looking out the kitchen window. And I saw it. And I forgave you the moment that it happened. I was just waiting to see how long you were going to take the abuse that your sister was giving you. (laughs) You know what? There's an enemy and he's called the accuser. And he wants you to feel guilty and he wants you to feel bad. But there's a God that says, I've already forgiven you. Just confess your sin to me and I'll forgive you. And let's move on with life. And frankly, when you know that the most important person in the universe, the one who created the universe, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one that ultimately gave his life says, I forgive you. I know the deepest, darkest things you've ever done, and I forgive you. Well, it makes you pretty dangerous because you say, I don't really care what other people think because I know that the God of the universe has forgiven me. And I have a new freedom that I never had before. I have the freedom of forgiveness. I have the freedom to know that the most powerful person in the universe loves me and forgives me. It's just an amazing truth. And so people who know that they are valuable to God, to the only one who really counts, are dangerous. Those who hide their sins will continue to live in fear. And Jesus came into this world with one purpose in mind. He came into this world for you. And maybe you're here and you're trying to do your best. You're working hard. You're trying to be acceptable. You're trying to get to a place where one day you'll stand before God and hopefully things will go well. And I just want to cut to the chase and say, no, it won't. As long as you try to self-save yourself, you're, you're in deep trouble. And that's why John says in John 1, verse 10, He came into the world, the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. The Word became flesh. He came on a mission to save us from our sins. That when we go up to Him and we ask Him to forgive us, He immediately forgives us. The purpose and meaning and joy and hope and grace and freedom in life can only come from the One who gives life. And it's Jesus. I want to close with this passage. So it's at the point of the ministry where Jesus has a lot of followers. There's a lot of people following Him. And He begins to share some hard things. Things that it wasn't easy for the in fact, the disciples kind of said, you've got to tone it down a little bit. This is a little harsh. People are leaving. They're going to walk away if you're not careful. And we had a pretty good following going on here. This is not what we want. And he says this, John chapter 6, verse 66. Many of the disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, what Peter is saying is, what's the other option? You're our only hope. 
There is no hope without you. I'm amazed. Sometimes people, I talk to people and they say, well, I don't know if I believe in Christianity. I don't believe in in Jesus. I think He was a good teacher and all that. And I I say, okay, okay. What's your other option? Because sometimes these, these, these people act as though they've got all these different options. There are no other options. What what, what, what Peter is saying here is essentially the cry of every one of our hearts. That there's something within us that knows that we're empty and that Jesus is the only one that can fill our hearts. And Peter felt that and he said ultimately, there is no one else who could take this place. There's no other There's no other answer. There's no other purpose. There's no other meaning. You are the ultimate meaning and purpose to life. There's nowhere else to turn. So I would say to my boys, give your heart to Jesus. Because there is no other hope anywhere else. There is no joy. There is no freedom. There is no forgiveness. There is no purpose and meaning. He is the only one that can bring that. Give your heart to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. You've gone to church. You belong to this religious group, denomination. You think you're a pretty good person, but you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to be your Savior. And until you do that, you haven't found the ultimate purpose of the universe. You haven't found your Savior. And when you find your Savior... Amazing things begin to happen, but until you give your heart to Him, you're dead. There is no hope. There is no alternative. He is the one that brings life. He is the one that gives hope. He is the one that raises us above our circumstances with joy. He is the one that gives us so much freedom that we are ultimately so free and accepted. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done for us. So I would say to my boys, give your hearts to Jesus. Would you stand with me? And let's pray. And so, Father, this is easy, easy to be said. And some of us are here today and we have given our hearts to Jesus. But the thing is, we sometimes take them back. We sometimes try to do it on our own. We sometimes look elsewhere. Because we live in a world that, has a, that pulls us in a direction away from you. We're busy. We're pulled. We have demands. Many of us would say one of the reasons we don't pray is we don't feel like we're good enough to pray. And we're not. But prayer has nothing to do with about whether we're good enough. Because we have a Father in Heaven who is waiting with open arms. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. And that's an invitation of Jesus. That we are not worthy, but He is available and desiring to be with us. For those of us who have a relationship, Father, we pray that we would continually give our hearts back to You. There may be some here today, Father, who have never given their hearts to Jesus. And I pray that they would ask me or someone else and say, how do I do that? How do I become a follower of Christ? How do I give Him my life? How do I give Him my heart? I pray that they would do that, Father, so they would find life. 
thank you so much for being the purpose and meaning not only of the universe, but for our very lives. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.